Hey, Magnus here. So, um, just a quick note before we begin. This episode of Sound of Symphony was recorded back in October at uh, Symphony Live San Francisco. And there were some recording issues, so the audio isn't up to our usual standards. But we think it was such a great episode that we hope you'll still be able to enjoy it. So, um, with that said, let's, uh, let's have a listen. Welcome to Sound of Symphony, the unofficial symphony podcast. And this is a very special episode for us, not only because it's episode 19, which is, of course, no, 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 19, um, but also because we're all here together in San Francisco. That's correct. And we, got, uh, we got the band together. Yes, exactly. For, for the first time ever. Yes, and uh, I'm Magnus Nordlander. I'm Tobias Nile. I'm Ryan Weaver. I'm Jared Farish. Yes. And, yeah, like I said, we're all on location, which is, is, is kind of cool. Uh, we've been doing some, some live podcasts where we're like, th- three of us have been together. And obviously, when we started out, me and Tobias recorded in the same location. But since we became four podcast hosts, this is actually the first time that we're all here. And it, it, is, the, it is also the... We're here in San Francisco for Symphony Live, which is the... The uh, the two year anniversary of when Jared came to the conference and and suggested that we invite ourselves to the podcast as hosts. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So and yes, that's actually that is why we're here, Symphony Live. Um, and uh, so, what do you guys think? What What do you think about the conference? Sh- shall I start? Sure. It's my first real U.S. conference, and I um, it was pretty pretty similar to Symphony Live London. But this was a two D conference, the one day conference. I, yeah, I, less posh accents. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I pretty much enjoy it. I'm not sure what else to say. Yes, but yeah. like what? What? Um, so what? What would be your? What, what would your favorite? Your favorite topic or speaker? Ooh, favorite topic or speaker? Yeah, like I, what? 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 What do people miss? <laughs> people that weren't weren't there, and we can make them feel uh, bad about themselves for not coming because of what? Uh, besides, I, besides your company. I, I besides our company, I, I, re- I really did enjoy the Webback and Core talk. Uh, I also enjoyed the. Who, uh, who, who did that, by the way? Ryan did. Yes. Yeah, he's sucking up to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say I really liked Michael Cullimuck's talk. Uh, right, yes. It was excellent. It was he a talked talk. a lot, actually. Yeah, it was a good talk. And and, and Michael gave us some some of that posh English accents, even though we're we're not in the UK. Well, you know, we don't speak English. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously that's. We also have uh, with us in the in the room, though not really close to any microphones, is Michael Colomac or Michael Colum, as he's actually actually named. It's just it's just his Twitter handle that's Michael Colomac for some reason. I don't get it. It's his ultimate personality. Yeah, uh, Michael Colum UK. Oh, so that's <laughs> oh, that makes sense. It's a good thing you explained that. Yeah. I would never have got that otherwise. <laughs> so, um, actually, yeah. you know, I just wanted to say I really enjoyed uh, uh, Ryan. Your yours, uh, it was uh, you have a lot of energy in the morning, you know, so that always helps. But being able to uh, really uh, hear a lot about what's going on in JavaScript and how that kind of impacts yeah, a surprising amount of energy considering the the previous day. <laughs> yeah, we stayed out. Now yeah, it was it was a late night the night before. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. But if 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 you know if you're going to be excited about anything, it's it's JavaScript, you know, yeah. click and things pop yeah. up. It's very visual. JavaScript and GraphQL were the best ones there. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, Nicholas Krikos's uh, thing on the uh, uh, dependency injection container was, was fantastic. Uh, the uh, lightning talk, uh, what was the, uh, it was a really good lightning talk. Uh, was it mine? Uh, yeah, well, uh, well, yeah, that one was, uh, I mean, was actually very good as well. Um, uh, the one on the Sound of Symphony podcast was that, uh, that was an excellent was talk, yes. uh, excellent for being thrown together at the last minute, um, and uh, oh no, I'm 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 drawing a blank. All of a sudden, uh, one on the first day was excellent. I, I can't. Was it was it towards it was. the end? Was it towards the, the end? Time? Do you remember where the person worked? Uh, did, did he work at Google? Oh yeah, oh yeah, that one was uh, that one was fantastic. <laughs> it was 
So good. So also oh, also with us I'm is... I'm searching for an answer here. I don't know. Also with us here is, is Brent Schaefer, who's a good friend of mine and, and symphony, long-term symphony guy, and we're actually recording in his living room, and he gave an excellent lightning talk on the first day. Yeah. So, Brent, uh, what did you talk about? So uh, this is this is Brent Schaefer, and um, at, at Google, we do have a small team of PHP-loving individuals, and uh, so we've been... Worried. Well, what, like one and a half. <laughs> and, then we, and then we have a couple of contractors, and... And we work with some really, really awesome guys, guys in the PHP community. Um, so we're we're writing uh, libraries that are actually lovingly crafted for for um, you know, the community that we we, we do love, uh, which hasn't always been the case. You know, a lot of times, um, great developers, but who are maybe associated with other language communities, are the ones writing um, our, our language libraries for PHP. So, uh, in particular, um, there's the uh, Docker PHP base image that that I've been um, a part of that's used in our um, platform as a service offering app engine. So you can check that out at uh, github.com slash Google Cloud Platform slash PHP dash Docker. Yeah, um, and that, then, act, that actually looked really cool. And I'm definitely because I'm using Docker lo for development locally. And that looked really cool. So I'm definitely checking that out. And we're putting it in the show notes as well. Oh, great. I appreciate that. Yeah. Also, I'll try to tweet some slides because uh, that was uh, what my lightning talk was about. And then also, uh, if you're using uh, Google Cloud APIs, we have handcrafted client libraries that are great for calling like our machine learning APIs if you want to get an annotated image or, or um, video file or audio file or text-to-speech, translate. There's a whole bunch of them. So uh, check them out. I would talk a little bit more, but as you can hear, my voice is pretty rough at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so in general though, that we, we all sort of don't have voices and, and that's because there was a lot of good conversation. You have uh, uh, the people here in the room and, uh, and Michael Colm is here and, and having Nicholas Grecus here and Fabian here. Um, lots of good nerdy technical conversations. I mean, half the people in this room have been merging and approving PHP fig things all morning. Yeah. So yeah, true. Live, live working together. Yeah, there's that's... about five times as many uh, recipes now, you know, uh... Somebody's been uh, working on them. That's actually what I like. What I like especially about um, about coming to these conferences is the the collaborative environment. Even if you're not necessarily doing lots of coding, it's still very uh, it's it's very good to be able to to actually talk to the people that you that you just chat with online. Um, yeah, sh share, sharing ideas. And yeah, like exactly. Tell, I mean, I like to hear what you you were doing, and I, um, I guess you like to hear what I'm doing. Yeah. And I mean, it's one thing like for me and Tobias who live in the same city, so obviously we meet each other anyway. But for people who live across across the Atlantic, it's much more difficult, and it's only a couple of times a year. So, yeah. uh, so that's that's actually one of the the major reasons why I, I try to attend conferences on both sides of the the colloquial pond. Yeah, could, could we could we spend like one or two minutes talking about Bose Lightning Talk? Uh, sure. I mean, he pretty much said that. The people who goes to conferences are the experts on, on, in Symphony, and we need to spread the word to the people, the non-conference goers. And I mean, what what's the best way of doing that? I mean, what's the best way to enlightening other people of using Symphony? So I think that sort of depends on. Bo was sort of sort of definitely onto something when he was talking about meetups, and if you're in an area where there is an existing meetup, that's an excellent venue, I think. Um, if you're not in an area where there's there's a lot of a lot of meetups, that means you're responsible. That's like you know the, I think Cal Evans usually says that if you don't know who the community organizer is in your area, it's you. Um, and um, yeah, I mean you gotta, but still you need to work with what you got, obviously. But um, um, I mean the only way to do it really is to to talk to other people. And, and and actually, and I think we're going to talk about it t today on the podcast, but um, like right now in Symphony is that is like a really great opportunity because, you know, Symphony 4 and Flux, yep. which is what uh, Fabian talked about, um, is, is, is sort of a game changer and, and, and it's going to change the way that it completely changes the way that people are going to use Symphony. Um, but of course, no one's going to know about that unless we as a community are able to kind of spread and say, hey, you may have used Symphony or thought about Symphony before. It's a totally different thing going forward. Yeah. So and what is this uh, Symphony Flux? Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Flux. Symphony <laughs> nice. Flux. Is this Flex or Flux? Flux. <laughs> the current version's Flux. 
Maybe we'll rename it to Flux in the future. Uh, and then maybe Redux after that. Oh, uh, that's a good name. Yeah. Uh, Reflux. Reflux. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, Fabian's keynote. He always gives the first thing. He talked exclusively about Symphony, Flex, directory structure changes. Um, because we talked a few months ago, I think, about some of the, the auto-wiring changes. Yeah. Which, of course, are not Symphony 4 thing, mostly Symphony 3.3. Um, and so that's a big thing, but but he just talked about um, Flex and actually ended up doing a live demo. So Tobias, what, what's what's your how would you describe what is your what is your uh, your elevator uh, description of Flex? My my elevator pitch would probably be like Symphony Standard is you have everything included from the beginning, and you you just remove things you don't like. Symphony Flex is the total opposite. You start with nothing, and then you require stuff. Um, that's the that's my short pitch. Was it descriptive enough, or should I? What, do you, what does it mean to start with nothing? So I get I get if I start with if I start a project today in Symphony three point three, I have my standard edition, I have my sure, app sure. directory and my source directory, and and I have uh, you know things in my vendor directory, and I have what maybe ten bundles by default in app kernel. So that's today, and then you said you start with nothing. What does what does that mean? I mean you <laughs> you start with a pretty much empty composer file. Pretty much empty composer.json file. In, yeah. in, in an empty directory. Yes, in an empty directory. And then you say, hey, I probably need some, some uh, this, this Symfony framework. And then it automatically installs the Symfony framework bundle, some related components, and put up the required files for you. So it added the app folder and the configuration folder. And then you may say, hey, I need Twig. So you say, compose to require Twig or, or compose to require template or something like that. And you automatically get Twig. You get the Twig. Oh, the Twig bridge is removed, isn't it? No, no, no. Okay, you get the Twig bridge, and you get the templating folder, and and you get everything set up for you, pretty much. There, no, there's no Twig. There's a Twig bundle. It's That's a Twig bundle, getting. not a yeah. Twig bridge. Yeah. <coughs> Anyhow, you get that pretty much automatically installed for you. Yeah, and that's basically. I mean, Flexis is the greatest piece of software in Symphony Four that you're never going to be dealing directly with, really. Um, no, ho hopefully you don't know using Flex. You're just using Composer, Composer Require. Yeah, and that's basic, basically what's going to be happening is that when you're installing packages, the packages have an opportunity to like add files in outside of their their package root and stuff like that. Uh, like and add default configuration and register the bundle. Register the bundle, obviously, if you're installing a bundle. Um, so that's um, so what so what's the uh, uh, you know just for somebody who may be um, you know approaching Symphony and they've only got you know maybe a year's experience or whatnot or maybe none um, uh, you know, I think it might be a little unclear exactly what Flex is you know we're talking about something that's there that's awesome but you don't interact with and blah 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 what what's actually going on here um, you know you have all this stuff with Symphony now how does it change when, when 4 comes out, when you're using, or 3.4, um, like what, why does it matter? Like why would somebody care about Flex? Uh, What's changing in the, in the way that you would actually interact with uh, a Symphony project? I mean, the, the, the cool answer here is that nothing really changes unless you like it to change. You can keep well, your directory structure as it is if sure. you like to. Well, not with a continuing project necessarily, but what if you come in and you're starting a new project? And I mean, the thing is, what changes is everything gets easier. There's usually, back in, in, in the days, and still, I mean, if you're using a Symphony 3 project, whenever you're installing a new bundle, you basically have the readme file that has these set steps. First, you obviously add the bundle to your composer file, or you do composer require. Then you add the bundle to your uh, kernel to register it. And then usually uh, you add some configuration to your configuration files. Step Ma which is which are all manual steps. Which are all Just manual like Composer steps. Composer made it made it easier to include a, a a package that you were using. You know, a directory of code. Now there's this vendor's directory. It's copying all that in there. One line on, on the command line says, "Hey, go and add this. Edit this. Auto edit this this Composer.json file." Now all of a sudden, getting new code into your project from an external source is, is, is dead simple. To me, Symphony Flex is about doing that for a yeah. Symphony project on a bigger scale. So you're auto-configuring. Uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm starting with a bare project, a bare Symphony project, and I want to add the console, before it would have been a lot of reading, trying to figure out how to get going. Now it's, you can go in there and say, 
what uh, Composer Require console, and literally you're you're now now you can now you yeah. can start coding. I so mean, it's removing barriers to actually doing the the domain related business rules that your your project actually needs, as opposed to like for, for sure it's figuring it's, out how to edit a kernel kernel file that you may not even realize you need to do. Yeah, absolutely, and for sure it, it's it's a te simple technical change really, but the the more wider implication is the the ecosystem implication, and that's that's really what what using Flex has become. So it, it allows us to start with nothing and add on rather than shipping a standard distribution which contains like some of the bundles that we think you might use and that you and some bundles which you might have to remove instead. Um, it allows us to start with nothing and just add on, and that's uh, that's not really a technical change, but it is a a DX change for sure, and um, it also is, it's an ecosystem change. And also adding on these bundles and the dependencies are way easier now. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Than yeah, before. That's, that's the that's the enabler for, yeah. for, for this for this ecosystem change. So it, it makes me it makes me think of um, uh, Silex. Has everyone used Silex? It's the, the micro framework, right? And Silex is really great because there's nothing to it. Just open up a file, right? Um, but but you know in my experiences then then when you start needing to add things to it um, then you okay now I need to manually maybe bring in a package and then manually instantiate some sort of configuration object and manually configure those things um, so I've used Silex a few times but then I always end up regretting it because it's so hard to install things so that was the classic problem this is the the workflow change you're talking about is how do you make a framework that's tiny how can you give someone a micro framework without the burden of uh, of, of adding new stuff. He's like, thank you for my micro framework. I love it. Now I need Twig. I need security, and I need these API tools. Okay, normally it would be like, okay, give me like four hours to figure out how that's all going to be installed. Yeah, exactly. So now you just require the three packages, maybe Twig and API and something else. And of course, it's going to download those packages. It's going to enable the bundles, and it's going to create five configuration files for you to have those automatically set up. Um, so this was actually a problem I, I've thought about before. Wouldn't it be great if we could give people something smaller? Um, smaller things are easier to understand, but then I always threw my arms up and said, but we can't because then, you know, actually it's not usable because you have to install everything manually. So um, then Fabian, who's, who's smarter than I am, he came up with this idea of, of automating that. So I'm, I'm most excited about having that, that small core that I can show, especially to beginners, especially because Symphony has that reputation of, of being uh, difficult to um, uh, understand or get started with. And if you start with the Flex project, it's so small. Yeah, so small, and, I wanna show people that. And, and the, the, the great thing is, whenever you have a, a, a framework like Symphony, you want people to be able to get in there and work, right? They'll do, so it had, it had all this configuration in there, all these packages, all, these, all this code, what, 380 something thousand lines of code? That was just there as soon as you got going um, up until Flex. And the reason for that was is that you didn't want somebody that was getting started with something you have to go in there and actually figure out how to do all this manual configuration setup, so on and so forth, because that's a barrier to them using it. And you know probably they just switch and use something else that just had it all available. What this is doing is is it's turning the the thing from the things that you have to work with to the things that you can easily go and get. And no longer are you like sitting there going, oh God, how do I how do I how do I set this up? How do I edit a YAML file that maybe I've never interacted with before? Um, you know, learn all these things that are really barriers to getting into a symphony related project. Now you can just go and do it and you, you just read one line. You're going, okay, I, I need to be able to interact with, uh, uh, you know, a database. Well, let me, let me add, you know, ORM or whatnot. And it brings it in. And now you're not looking at a vendor's directory going, oh my God, look at all these files. What, what is all this for? Cause all that's noise to, you know, it's the old 80, 20 problem, you know, 80% of what you need is probably 20% of what's there. Um, and uh, uh, so you end up looking at it and it seems like it's so big and complex when I spent a lot of time uh, with, you know, within my company evangelizing Symphony trying to explain that no, it's a lot of little things that do like one thing really well and they're like, yeah, but there's 386,000 lines of code in just a standard project when you get started unless you've got somebody like Magnus who comes in and goes, okay, well, here's where you can just cut out all the chafe that you don't need because it's just there in case you need it. But yeah, but we didn't. Flex but we don't all easy. have a Magnus. So well, well. So so that's the point, right? You needed yeah. you needed a Magnus to be able to yeah. uh, to make to get Symphony what, Flex to is to a take consultant in a box. Uh, it's, Boy, it's, what you loving that term? It's sort that, of that would be awesome. Is it Magnus? Is it Magnus as a service? Is that what, yeah. what Flex is? Yeah. 
He gets a penny for every. Oh, hey, you know, there's a sim, you know Symphony Flex Dirty Money. That's the. Uh, that's <laughs> right. The yeah, every time you run Composer Require, yeah. Magnus yeah. gets a penny. Yeah. And I also think that coupled with the, the we, we've talked previously about this on the podcast, but coupled with the additions coming in 3.4 and 4.0, obviously, uh, to for example dependency injection, it's going to be so much easier for new developers to get started with Symphony now that we have Flex. I actually think it's harder for existing developers to uh, convert to Symphony Force uh, structure. Really? Yeah, I mean... So, uh, what, yeah, what, maybe, what's different about the structure? I, I've heard this a few times, like, what's going on Yeah, here? They, they just changed the names to some folders somehow. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not actually sure. Well, there's no web directory anymore? Like, there's, what does that the, mean? The, like, it's named public, and uh, there is a templates folder, and yeah, you still have the app folder, right? Or no. No, uh, just config. So, like, everything that was an app is now more or less at the root, like a config directory, yeah, okay, templates okay. directory, okay. translations directory. Is there uh, a config.yaml okay. file? Like, what's what's going on with the... Like, how does no. all this work now? Like, what's... Like, if you come in and you haven't worked with anything other than Symphony 2.8 or 3, what are you going to see? Like, is it going to make sense to you? I think so, because what's what's really going to be there is... a new project, not changing a project to Symphony 4, but... Yeah, but with a new project, project, you're going to be seeing separate configuration files for each bundle. And especially if you're already been using Symphony, you're going to be recognizing a lot of these things that are already there. Yeah, sure. So you're going to sure. be recognizing framework.yaml, and then if you look into it, obviously, yeah, it contains the framework configuration. And also, it's ways for new developers to actually understand what the files are and what they mean. Yeah. I mean, compared to the deep structure, the folder structure we had before. Yeah. What what what's the phrase? Uh, composition over uh, something that, that inheritance. Yeah. It, it, is that what's on the Symphony Flex website or, or documentation? It says composition over something, and that's the idea. Instead of having a monolithic com, you know config file that has maybe two or three hundred lines of 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 uh, configuration, now now each piece is actually has its own, yeah. which makes it easier to go in and say, you know what, I don't want to know where I'm anymore. Let me remove it. Yeah. I'm going to switch to something else. Um, and uh, or I just don't need it, or maybe I just want API uh, platform. So I'm going to say config require API. Well, now I'm, I'm removing the API because I'm going to do it on a different site or something. And so you go in there and you say what composer remove mm-hmm. uh, API, and now it, it it you know what's it doing? It's removing the the related uh, uh, vendor directories. It's removing the uh, config dot yaml directory, and it's removing something from the make file plus some other. Are, are there some other things going on here? Uh, so first of all, I think Makefiles didn't actually make the cut. Makefile ah, did not oh, make it. No, I, I like I, I like you guys. It's, great. <laughs> it's a great pun. I enjoy your company. <laughs> I didn't get it. I was like, what? What's funny about that? Yeah, the ma- make files are gone now. Yeah. So there yeah. was a make file. It's not really important. And now, um, you, we, now with the new Flux project, where we give you uh, the Symphony slash console components out of the box. You don't technically need it. You could actually remove it if you wanted to, but since it's convenient to have cache clear, uh, things like that, we, so, we give you that. So, so does we, this means Symphony Four. They're not. They're not going to uh, promote having a make file. Is that what? No, no make no. file. Okay. So the cool thing is, unless with, you add one yourself, if you wanted the, the smallest possible project you can have with with Symphony Four and Flex is a composer.json file that has Symphony slash Flex as a dependency. Which is just a composer plugin. That's that you never see it directly. And Symphony slash framework dash bundle. That's all you need. When you start a Symphony Flex project, you'll also today um, because of course we, it's easy to write the composer.json file, but we give you one to save you time. Uh, you also, I believe, have Symphony slash console, so you have a bin console, and then Symphony slash YAML because by default we're still configuring most things in YAML. So those are the only things you need. But to go to your point, so when the way, if you haven't looked into it too much, whenever you install a package, there is a recipe for it, or maybe there isn't, but most many packages have recipes. Tobias was adding more recipes to Symfony this morning. So the recipe is what says I want to make this configuration file or create this directory or add or add this directory to the users, git ignore, those types of things. Um, but yeah, cool thing is that uh, that when you run Composer Require, it installs a recipe. When you run Composer Remove, it actually uninstalls the recipe. Is that is like a is recipe.yaml? I mean, what is whenever y'all say recipe, like what is, what does that what does that mean? Tobias, you you were working with the recipes this morning. How 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 if I if I have a bundle or a library and I wanted to add a recipe so that when Jared installs it, he gets my cool stuff. What's that look like? It's basically a manifest file that says how this uh, bundle or package should be automatically installed 
and then there is some standard configurations. That's pretty much it. And where, where does that live? Because that's, that's the surprising thing. Yeah, it, it lives in uh, a separate repository. It's symphony slash recipe contrib. That's pretty much where all the the uh, third party recipe lives. Yeah, there's and, there's two repositories. Yeah. One official, which is symphony slash Con- recipes, recipes, and yeah. then symphony slash recipes dash contrib. Yeah, yeah. And so the 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 recipes don't live in the same library as your packages or your bundles. No, no, no. They, they they live in another repository. Yeah, and why is that? Like, what what's happening behind the scenes there? Oh, that's, that's Fabian got the very same question at the conference, and that's uh, and it, 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 it's it is a big, uh, and I I only know a few of the reasons probably, but there there is there is some compelling reasons. Uh, the one that Fabian actually brought up as a good example is that, say, we you install PHP Unit, we still want to have a recipe for PHP Unit, but we definitely don't want to have to send a pull request to PHP Unit to add a Symphony recipe for it. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, and also, I think that there's a matter of being able to select which which packages are actually sort of endorsed by the Symphony core team. That's the, the the distinction really between the official repository and the contrib repository. Right, but that's not actually a question I was asking. Like, what's what's going on behind the scenes? When it, as I as I look at Composer or uh, Flex, to me, the reason why you don't interact with Flex is it it, it seems more like a Composer plugin. And so you go in there and do what? You say composer require, uh, and then you can use like an alias like ORM. Yeah, or you um, can just or, or say say you want monologue, you can do composer require monologue slash monologue. Right. Or, so, or but, or what's happening, compu- but what's happening? But what's happening? Composer requires normally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can still continue to use it, but 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 that that idea of having an alias, right? So you have this thing and it's doing something. So what's composer doing? Composer is first going to go and look up and say, okay. Do I have a reference to this already in a recipe so that it can be auto-configured? And it's going, okay, in, in, in the official uh, Symphony recipes list, oh, I don't have one there. Let me go look over here. There's one in contributor. So it's going to make a copy. If it doesn't have that, then it's just going to do a vendor install just like it normally would, right? So they're kind of standing in the way to say, no, wait, no, we're, we have a configuration. We're going to do something for you. That's at least how I understand it. You know, Magnus, you have this funny look on your face. I, I don't think that's quite how it works. Like, so Flex is a composer plugin. Yeah. So basically, what Flex does is, is it hooks into the composer installation pro- process. So basically, whenever you install a package, we're going to be asking the Flex plugin, do you want to do stuff now? And if it does, it's going to be it's going to be not, doing you're not its saying stuff. Composer requires Flex. Yeah. You know, you know, dash dash flex or anything. Flex is just happening in in, in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's and it's so what it's fully doing is it's intermediating the the requirements if it's possible to do that. Otherwise, it just does a vendor install, and that's what I'm saying. That's why the aliases matter. Is that like it, or the the whole thing about like say that you have the ORM or you have API or whatever? It doesn't it, it like aren't they also like taking over that that uh, alias? Yeah, um, yeah. So that's one thing inside we'll... P, inside your PHP project. You're out there, like, you know, use whatever, whatever as ORM. Like, that, that was something that I'd heard, I think, in uh, no. Berlin or something. So there's, so there's two things going on, because there's, there's, there's aliases, which we're talking about. That's, mm. that's a, composer a, aliases. Compo- yeah, yeah, composer yeah. package vendor, vendor aliases. Packages. So, yeah, so just to, let's say, be lazy, uh, Flex allows you to, uh, normally, as you said uh, a second ago, Magnus, you would say composer require monologue slash monologue, because that's the actual name of the package. With Flex, you can say Composer Require Logger. So that's that's an extra feature does. Recipe is the main thing, but one of the things it does is it has these aliases. And, and you can imagine what happens. It just quickly resolves that and changes it to the real package name, and, and then Composer goes on its way. So that's the aliases thing we're talking about. And the biggest, I think the biggest reason for the aliases is we want to be able to recommend. You can use whatever logger you want. We want, if you don't know what logger you should use, we want you just to be able to dumbly say composer require logger composer required whatever and and so for the the, the main things you need you can just say uh, or composer require orm which goes out and right. gets uh, the doctrine orm API, you don't have to think about it i think api has three different ones yeah there's composer API, require api, API it gives API you an api platform. platform yep and then there's another one there's so three. there's a, a second thing going on behind the scenes which is actually really clever tactical thing uh, Tobias and I were talking about this only right before the podcast, which uh, Tobias asked, hey, is, is, it, is there a way in your recipe to, 
to say, you should also install these other two packages because maybe if you require my library, that's great, but if you require these other two libraries also, then you're really gonna get a nice system. Mm-hmm. And this actually is something that happens. It's not part of um, uh, uh, Flux, it's just a strategy. Uh, Fabian creates these, well, anybody can. Uh, these repositories, they're called packs usually, so there's actually an ORM-pack, and it's nothing more than a composer.json file with a require that has the three packages that you want to include. So when you say composer require ORM, that is an alias to the symphony slash ORM dash pack. And that is actually something that has three dependencies. So you end up getting the doctrine bundle, I think doctrine fixtures maybe, and and maybe something else. So it's a really nice way to be able to bring in a a nice suite of things. uh, So you can get a really full, fully featured um, uh, thing. uh, Tobias and I were talking about it with, uh, regards to translations because of course you work on PHP translation and if you know if you want a really nice robust translation system probably the user should get three or four packages yeah sure I mean the, we ha- we naturally have a bundle and some core packages and if if you're cool or hipster then you probably want to have some automatic translations so we could require that as well for you in this pack fair yep yeah, great. One one thing that I most people ask about is that since Flex gives you some default configurations, and they are wondering, what can you change these configurations? What would happen if you remove the the requirement? I mean, what do you do with these configurations? Yeah, you change them. That's um, it. It only basically it adds a new files for you to change. Uh, when we're talking about configuration specifically, that's yeah. it adds a new files for you to change. Um, it also does like changes and say your git ignore file, and those are not they they'll be clearly marked as this has been inserted by Symphony Flex, but those are not really for you to to edit. But when it comes to configuration, yes, that's just a baseline for you to do whatever you want with. So Flex gives you suggestions, and you do whatever you like with them. It's not a suggestion. I mean, it is. It, it really is loaded as the configuration. Yeah, yeah but sure. it's it's. But it's yours to decide if you want to keep it or change it or what. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Great. One thing that struck me, which I thought was pretty cool, is that you can, with Flex, you can. You don't require to install only bundles, but also packages. I mean, yes. Um, Laravel has the concept of package and send the gasset concept of plugins and Symfony got bundles, but. Most bundles that I know of are pretty simple. They just wrap a library and add some uh, uh, some service definitions. And but, or configuration. And configuration, yeah. yeah. Uh, but with Flex, you can pretty much use the library with no bundle at all. So you basically have a... a uh, yeah, you basically remove the need for bundles. Sometimes, maybe. Sometimes, yes, for, for simple bundles. I would, uh, yeah. g- uh, give us a, a, a good example of, of where that might work really nicely. Uh, say I I'm managing the uh, Mailgun API client. Sure. It basically only has one cl- one class you interact with, and that class only requires you to fill in your API secret. Yes. And so it's no point of me creating a Mailgun API client bundle. I just create a Flex recipe that registered that class as a service, and and I'm pretty much all done. Well, the the, the uh, that's actually an interesting example because you say yeah, it takes the API key. So that's configuration. Yes. Now you could, I suppose, in your uh, you could, I suppose, uh, require that configuration always comes through through the uh, the environment. Yeah, that's but I I'm not sure that's recommended. I mean, ideally, you would have you would ship with semantic configuration allowing you to set the API key and default that setting to the environment variable, so that it is possible to change it to use like a regular parameter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. What I do with my Flex recipe is I'm adding a uh, placeholder in my environment file, and then I add some uh, service definitions that uses that uh, environment file. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But ideally, so ideally, I think you would still ship with a container with a container extension that processes a configuration. What? Why? So that so that you're able to actually change to if you don't want to use the environment parameter, for example, uh, you, you're able to actually change. How you, um, oh, what's the word? I'm looking, basically, you're able to change how you are getting the API key. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's just a simple YAML file that defines the service. You can change it there. You don't need a configuration.php file. 
I suppose. Yeah, this, I, I think this is actually a really, really interesting topic. The, and the, the, the Mailgun API bundle idea is so good because, because e- either if you forget about Flex, right? So uh, if you were to use this client, which is just a PHP library today, you're going to want to register your, your client as a service. So you're going to go to services.yml, you're going to set up the service, you're going to set the first argument to be the API key. However, you, in, you know, read that from parameters.yaml or somewhere else, it doesn't matter. So you're gonna have to register that service. If there were a bundle, the point of the bundle is that it registers that service for you. But of course, you can't use the Mailgun client without some configuration because you need to pass the API key. So usually it's semantic configuration. You go into config.yml, you add some Mailgun key. You know, you read the documentation, add some Mailgun key, and below that, probably some API key, and you set it to that value. And then behind the scenes, it reads your configuration and configures that service. In the case of this very simple bundle idea, I actually really like Tobias's way because if I show you a services dot, if I show you a configuration file, and you see a service there that's you know mailgun client slash client is the class, and the first argument is set to some parameter, for example, and then I tell you to uh, change uh, to to configure this or. If I show this to you, you immediately understand it. You go, this is a service. I see the class, I see the arguments. I could even open up the class. Maybe I discover there's a second constructor argument that I need to change. Okay, great, I add a second argument. But with the semantic configuration, I actually have to read your documentation. I, I don't know what magic keys I can put under the mail gun uh, configuration. I don't know what how you've set up your bundle what how you've allowed me to, to configure things so not having that middle layer there i'm just able to interact with the classes directly it's very very simple but before flex it meant i had to do more work so that's why we did the bundle so that it was much less work but the the semantic configuration in some simple cases is actually adding a layer of abstraction so this is actually really exciting to be able to compose or require the mailgun api client and it just creates the service for me and it just feels very pure and simple uh, and familiar. Of course, ideally, like in a in, in a Mailgun client bundle, you might want to have like profiler integration or you might want to have like being able to disable delivery or stuff like that. I don't, I don't know. Um, so I think, yes, for simple bundles, maybe this could be a, a way to not have bundles. But if you want the best sort of integration possible, you're still going to need a bundle anyway. Um, let me stop you right there. If you want to have like profile integration for API clients, then using HTTP plug and all your problems will be solved. Maybe they're not communicating over HTTP. <laughs> this is this is a paid endorsement here. <laughs> it feels like. But isn't that indirectly solved? Like not directly solved. Nobody deals with HTTP plug directly. Um, to total side topic. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I think I actually agree with Magnus. Everything is great with what I was talking about, but then yeah, as soon as you're like, but don't you want a little web debug toolbar icon? And I'm like, yes, I do want yeah, that. And, and then you need a bundle naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that brings me to the question: If Flex is starting with nothing, and you sometimes don't even need bundles anymore, so what is Symfony? Symfony is still both a set of reusable components and a full stack framework. So how, how many reusable components do you need in your application to say I'm running a Symfony application? What is it like? It's like 30 in total? Or something? Is, is it 8, the magic number? No, you're, you're using Symfony framework if you use the framework bundle. That's true. Yeah, using the full stack framework if you're using the framework bundle. Yes. So the full stack, the full stack framework is basically just a bundle. Well, no, it, so that bundle has requirements, obviously. Yeah, it has yeah. a dependency yeah. on, say, HTTP kernel. It has a dependency on HTTP foundation and, uh, and a few yeah. other packages. But, but this, is kind of, this is kind of pretty, though. I mean, what, what Tobias, I think, is saying is if you opened up a new directory today and you created a few PHP files and you're having fun and you wanted to suddenly have that project become a Symfony framework project, you could literally run Composer Require Symfony slash Flux, of course, first. Then compose require symphony slash framework dash bundle. And yeah. that's it. Your your project actually becomes a symphony framework project, like magically before your eyes. But yeah, that's, like that's, magically. That's pretty yeah. cool. It's no well, longer like well, yeah. no longer but, you need everything. It's you're right. Symphony is actually what is symphony framework, full stack framework, it's a bundle. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, but but it's a it, it it's a bundle which they've tied things together for you, so it's easier to use. Yeah. yeah so sure. Sure. It's a great the, bundle. No, that's just, I mean, yeah. if you go in and you're like, oh, I want to use you know the router, or I want to use, um, you know, some some individual package, you're having to configure that and like incorporate it and set it up and so on and so forth. But if you're doing a framework, I tend to think of a framework as okay, you're you're sitting up here, you know, well, up higher on the hog than, than you are down below, trying to get everything to work and, you know, maybe getting stuck in the mud and, you know, maybe it's it's taking you longer as opposed to just getting directly to, you know, the business cases that you're working on. Um, uh, so, I, you know, I want to I want to ask a question. What's the stability of, of Symphony Flex? Should, should we be cha- should we be expecting things to be changing or um, how do we how do we view that? And, and from a from a related topic. What if there are recipes I want to write that I don't want to release? The recipes that you want to write that you don't for my want. own things. Oh, for, for your private consideration. Let's, yeah. let's answer those questions one at a time. I think. So well, s- no, I want them both at the same time. If two people, at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. When then you can edit it out later to make yeah, it, yeah, to make yeah. it work. Yeah, for sure. The magic of post production. So Symphony Flex being just a composer plugin, it's it will change. But even Fabian said maybe not that much anymore. And uh, and actually, so it's, you can, so you can, it's reaching, you know. It is, and, 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 it, and it's uh, it can work on Symphony three point three. So you can actually use Flex today in a a traditional Symphony three point three project. And if you think about it, that makes sense. It's just like what is Flex? It's a composer plugin that's installing things for you and running recipes. That is all kind of actually really has nothing to do with Symphony. Yeah, and I would I would definitely recommend you know just go and open the project in GitHub. And read it. it. It's not like a massive thing, and it demystifies a lot of what's going on. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Like once you look at it, you go, "Oh, is this is this is this really what's happening?" Because you you hear it, it's like, "Oh, all this magic," and it's like, "No, it's actually doing some very specific things." And there's not that much that it's doing. It's not a monolithic yeah. uh, project. So, but to be clear, I th- so correct me if I'm wrong, but Flex is not yet tagged 1.0. No, yeah, no. that's correct. Do we know? Do, do we know sort sort of the the expected timeline for that? That's you know that's uh I don't I don't know I mean I would expect it would happen when Symphony goes 4.0 yeah. but at the same time we all used Composer for how many years before sure. it had any tag yeah. right because it's a it's a build tool right so if if Flex you know if uh, if the next version of Flex had a syntax error in it you're, it's fine because it's just a build product so you're not gonna be able to use it today but it's not like it's gonna break your project yeah so it's possible that I'd say oh I bet 1.0 will come when 4.0 of Symphony comes out. Um, but you know, Fabian is, he does, he does, he does what he wants. Uh, but, sometimes I try to guess and I'm usually wrong. Yeah, but to be fair, like, like nothing, nothing bad against Jordi and Niels. Uh, but, but Symphony usually is a bit quicker on the ball to get a, to get stable versions tagged. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Fabian, Fabian realizes that people value tagging, yeah. etc. So, what about the second question? I, I, I've got my own configurations I want to use and they're, they're for my business. I'm, you know, I'm not interested in open sourcing them. Uh, Symphony, you know, is MIT, whatnot. Like, how do I how do I interact if that's my use case, and is it or is it even possible? Basically, uh, to quote Fabian, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, let's think about it technically. In theory, even if they were private bundles that you're sharing between, like, like I can't but even see my them. Private configuration has all my stuff already set up. Maybe I want to bring something in. I just already have my API keys and everything in there. And I just ah, I see. I see. You're saying like when I install. Button, hey, I, I've got this thing that's really just. Ah. And maybe I could write a script that would do it for me. Or is, sure, is, sure. Is this, isn't this even an option? Like, So there's sort of two things then. There's sort of like, I was thinking actually like private recipes that no one can see, which is kind of what you're talking about for, well, for yeah, my private, for my own private repositories. Yeah. Uh, but also, but also you're, like you're saying. Project configuration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Private configuration for Here's my API CRM. platform you know, configuration that I, that I use for, you know, my, my standard customer, you know, or client configuration. And, and I want to wrap it all up so I can just go and run it and get started. And I'm sitting at that, you know, 80% completion point and I'm just working on business now. Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of like if you're, say you're working at an agency, like one of the, um, uh, the companies that presented at the, uh, at the conference, um, basically does agency work. So they, today they have this stand, they don't, they, they have this basically a, uh, their own edition of Symphony, their own distribution. Uh, that was, um, the, the, I believe, that was the term used in Symphony Two. Um, and I mean, in the they obviously are using their own packages and uh, uh, and bundles. And they no, uh, they private would pro- packages. 
that's an excellent service, though they're not paying us any sponsor money. You're welcome, Nelson. Yes, yes, you're very welcome, Nelson Jordy. Um, but um, no, so so I imagine that in that use case, like you're making multiple projects, you want to have you you have internal bundles, for example, that you want to be using in multiple projects. Uh, that's basically having a private flex uh, private repository. flex re recipe repository. Yeah. And from what I understand, that is that that is, will be coming. It's not here yet. Uh, but uh, I'm sure Fabian would be overjoyed to tell you more about it once it's it's released. Yeah, and I think it's I think he said not, it's not that far. No, like it's not something where oh that's coming and we just have a lot of work to do and so see you in two years. Yeah, uh, and it won't be free, of course. Um, because the open source like it's good. The open source part is free, but if you need private stuff, it's not going to be free. But I think that's not so far off. No, that's it's basically the same model as, as for example, private packages, which is which isn't free. But it's. I've heard it's, nice things about that. It's a it's a great tool. <laughs> Nils had all kinds of great things. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't have the problem at our company of creating many projects. Uh, you know, very very common, uh, very you know, like an agency does. Um, but the idea of having the private recipes and and knowing exactly that whenever we start a project, it has like these fifteen bundles and all these configuration files. Um, that actually makes me want to have that problem. <laughs> I actually want to see how awesome it's going to be when somebody other like, oh, composer, you know, is a great project, our project, and just everything scaffolds itself. But wouldn't wouldn't it be, be awesome as well to say, hey, you know, Symphony Flex, I've gone through and I've 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 worked on this project for the last six months, and this is something that I want to be able to offer my other clients. Flex, give me a a recipe or a pack or whatnot. They would actually express the same thing again, so I don't have to go back and like figure out how I did it. Like that could be interesting as well. It would be cool, but I think that could be difficult. Well, I'm sure, but yeah. I'm just yeah, if we're dreaming here, right? You like, said that like reverse a, engineering. Yeah, like, well, no, no, just where it records. Okay, you've added these things, you've added these things, and it just gives it to you to say, hey, you know, this is how you would recreate basically the same project without necessarily all the custom code that you have in your source directory. It's yeah, hey, we're dreaming. I mean, yeah, yeah sort yeah. of, sort of makes sense. But to 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 go on uh, to to carry on with your 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 point there, Ryan. You know there is a way probably that you can give yourself the problem of wanting to have private pack private uh, repositories, and that's obviously if you're using like a microservices architecture where you have multiple applications, you can definitely still have um, still have shared shared bundles that you want to be using across all of your applications. And that doesn't require you to be an agency. That can be like just any any larger project could could benefit from a microservice architecture. That, I, that is it. we actually have do have that. And I wasn't even thinking about it. That, yeah, I, I remember just the other day I was I was grabbing our code base for something and I found like five instances of it um, from the five times that I have the exact same code copy yeah. and pasted into all five of the little microservices. Um, oh, uh, so uh, on the on the dreaming front, um, what if what if and what if when you upgraded a package and the recipe for that package had changed since your last upgrade it modified mm. your configuration right mind it, blown right right because i was thinking about the big agency thing where you have like your recipes today and then uh and then you uh of course you you as you start new projects you improve those recipes and you add some more stuff and then you go back to that project you just started a year ago which is which is built on the old recipes and you say oh let's oh, upgrade yeah. to symphony 4.2 and model new version of monologue um, darn it, you know, our recipes are so much better now. Uh, I wish that uh, would kind of like bring that new stuff in there. Hmm, that so, could be interesting. Yeah. So we'll just throw that out there hmm. into the, wouldn't that be cool? Hmm. In case anybody, in case anybody that could right make away. that happen is listening. And I mean, technically, that's actually easier because you can just do the, you can take a look at the, the diff from the uh, Flex recipe repository and possibly parse something out from there. Yep, it's uh, sort of a known problem. Like it's like when you do the app get uh, upgrade, right? And it says, looks at the uh, old ini file, PHP to ini file versus the new one. Looks at what changes you've made to yours and patches them together, or has you fixed the conflicts? Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not impossible. Not impossible. Yes. <laughs> Magnus will be releasing it in three months. I think that's sure. that's the the technical term. The ones that's used in, in in computer science is either it's impossible or it's not impossible. <laughs> NP hardest or not? So, um, uh, apart from Flex itself, and okay, some directories were renamed. 
great. Um, there's a couple other things that are significant. I'm thinking specifically environment variables mm. that uh, is going to mm. look quite different if you're if you're mm. coming uh, to Symphony Four. So so what's what's what somebody somebody tell us a little bit about what changed with environment variables actually Magnus maybe, this, this maybe is sort let's, of you uh, yeah maybe let's actually start with what is environment variables and why do we use them so basically environment variables is a way to set variables in your shell or in your your applications in the executables environment hence the name um, and it's very popularly used on platform as a service um, services um, as a way to pass configuration to your application. And Symfony, for the longest time, didn't really, and you've probably heard about this on the podcast before if you're a, if you're a listener, uh, didn't really have a, a good way of, of um, handling environment variables because they were basically cached in the container at compile time. Um, but then in... So this means that you have to clear your cache whenever your environment variables changes. Exactly, and and if you're on a cloud platform, that basically means that you need to do another uh, another deploy, and that's not you don't want to redeploy just because your configuration changes. Yeah, because I mean something like Heroku, right? I think this you know they're they're kind of meant to help you scale, and so I think the idea is like, oh yeah, we'll help you scale. Don't worry about it. We will expose your database IP address as an environment variable. So as long as you're reading that, life is good. By the way, if you need to scale, we might dynamically change the IP address on you at 2 a.m. on a Thursday yeah. because we're giving you a bigger thing. Uh, but then your Symphony app is using the cached version, uh, which of course maybe doesn't even exist anymore. So yeah, so then you'd have to somehow know at that moment you need to redeploy. It's yeah. basically Symphony did not play well with with environment variables. Or uh, which uh, did somebody? But did somebody fix that? Indeed, indeed, somebody did, and that person is Nicholas Grecus. <laughs> <laughs> with with assist from Magnus. Yeah. So in in Symphony three point two, uh, finally we got some proper environment variable support. Uh, before you could technically do it before, but it was a pain, and you basically had to modify every bundle and do some manual overrides in your dependency injection container, and it just wasn't fun. It definitely not something I would recommend to to anyone who isn't uh, well versed in Symphony. Um, but in three point two, things got a lot easier, uh, and now we can just use the uh, env parentheses and then the parameter name um, parameter name. That'll pull in an environment variable, and if the environment variable changes, it's not cached in the container. It's always read directly from the environment. Um, one would ask. How is that for performance? Um, well, I suppose that's a good question. I haven't really seen any any uh, Blackfire profile of it. I would assume it's slightly, slightly worse than um, the, than caching the values, but not overly so. Like reading from the environment is something that Unix processes does a lot. Yeah, it's well, well I've heard it's no it's no big difference at all. Yeah, it should be it should be very minor. Yeah, if 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 any. Yeah. What was yeah, this, the... this strikes me as like a single quote versus double quote sort of performance yeah. optimization. Yeah. 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 Uh, what was the guidance that uh, uh, Fabian mentioned uh, in his keynote about environment variables and the proper use of them? He seemed that he mentioned that you should do this, but you shouldn't do that. What was he talking about? So the thing is, if you're using when when, when we're using parameters.yaml, uh, and you can recall, like in the standard edition, it shipped basically with I think nine different parameters it's five for the doctrine connection you have the database host you have the database port the username the password and the database and then you have four different parameters for the smtp server used by by swift mailers you have the server you have the port you have username and password i think um and that's not, I mean, you don't really want to do that if you're using it. Especially the convention isn't that you do that if you're using environment variables. The convention really is that you're using just database URL, which is a DSN that has all the connection information for your database, or um, SMTP URL, which is basically a URL that contains everything you need to connect to your SMTP server. And from a from a parameter management perspective, that still makes a lot more sense because, like, if you say you're using something like Heroku or I assume other cloud platforms as well, and you want to change the SMTP server, 
every configuration change you do is might actually cause a restart to your server and it's just, it just makes sense that you want to do you want to keep you want to keep your parameters to one parameter if possible not multiple parameters okay yes yeah, and and so um speaking of the parameters.yaml uh so since we're setting things as environment variables, which I think for a lot of us is still not that familiar of a thing to do necessarily. So in the dev environment, you've probably seen it's what you typically do is modify a .env file. So that's a yep. new thing with Symfony 4 because setting environment variables can be a pain. can be a little bit different on different systems. Not something you really want to worry about during development. So, so you'll have a .env file, which is not a YAML file, but... For a Symfony developer, Symfony 3 developer, it will feel familiar because, right, it's basically has the same function as a parameters.yaml file. Yeah. It's where you define your parameters. Um, the slight difference is that with parameters.yml, we were actually setting dependency injection parameters. So yes. it's a percent database underscore name percent. The .env file is parsed in development. And those actually, the purpose of that parsing is it then actually literally sets those as environment variables. So if you have something in your .env file, that doesn't magically become a Symfony parameter. But then in your configuration files, you can reference that parameter, the yeah. percent env open parentheses database underscore URL, the, the thing you were talking about. Yeah, and, and your .env file, is, it's a very ubiquitous format. It's used by by lots of other things um it basically the format is shell script and um it's used for example in docker you can reference that you want to load into your container you want to load environment variables from an env file and it's it's just um it, it's sort of becoming an industry standard if you're talking cloud platforms you you're using environment variables and in, de in development you would be using an env file it's it's very I had a um, I had someone after my Webpack Encore talk. They had a question or a comment, or they were sort of brainstorming in front of me, and the light bulb went off on. It was a really nice thing, and they were talking about uh, they use CDNs, and so if you use uh, Symfony, if you use a CDN, you go into your configuration file, and you can set your asset base URLs to your CDN or CDNs, and and then all of us, all, you know, all of your assets suddenly point to it. If you use Webpack Encore. Uh, then you have a webpack.config.js file, and you also need to actually include your CDN URL there. So internally, Webpack is aware of your CDN. And so he was thinking, he said, well, that the CDN is not something we use locally, obviously. This is something that historically put in our parameters.yaml file. Well, in New Symphony, it would be an environment variable. And so for development purposes, they put it in .env file. But the point is, in, in their Symphony configuration, they would be referencing an environment variable. And so he said, can I somehow share that uh, with my Webpack, with my Webpack configuration file, which is a JavaScript file, a Node file, it needs to also be aware of that, read that same value. And we said, of course, it's an environment variable. Environment variables are not a PHP thing. It's not a YAML thing. Everyone can read environment variables. Yeah. So yeah, so you go into your, your webpack.config.js file and it's process.env.asset asset URL. Yeah, and it's and not that's a, it. And it's not even a, it's not even a just a Unix thing. It's like even Windows has has environment variables. It's really everything has environment variables. So yeah, so the standardization there was like it's it solved this problem. If yeah. you know before we did the Symphony three way, then probably he might be thinking, I don't know, is there a node module that parses YAML so I can parse my parameters that yeah. YAML and get this key off of it? You know, very, very hacky. Yeah. It's always fun when you just spent like three days hacking something together and then somebody goes, you know, there's this real easy way to do that. Oh, <laughs> I want it in a flex package now. Just install the recipe; it does it for me. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Question. Question is, you know, real quick uh, for the flex experts. Uh, would it be possible to write a recipe that uh, added like an automatic, like a uh, standard Docker configuration for development? Oh, really, really glad yes, you asked that. Actually, it would. Uh, this is something that uh, Kevin Douglas is working on. Kevin actually wants um, part of the flex recipes to be something that actually uh, I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to say some things that are probably incorrect and oversimplified because I'm not into it as much but the basic idea would be that part of your recipe um, you're actually able to basically modify the docker compose file so that your docker compose setup is composing itself as you install uh, different packages but is it possible to like run a uh, you know symphony flex where it actually adds that for you the docker compose and it has like a basic you know basic configuration for running a symphony yes, application should, in docker yes and should be i think like yes a, you know, and the no standard and... php apache or php nginx you know whatnot 
Oh yeah, like, so, is so, that so, like we're just copies of those files in there for you, and yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. can get up and running and just so, go Docker Compose, and you already have a so the way Symphony it works running. right now. But this might change. Is that again, Kevin Douglas? He's the guy that, that uh, you know his company works on the API platform. They actually have the, their own skeleton. So there's uh, when you create a Symphony for Flex Project, you're actually based, effectively cloning from Symphony slash skeleton. Which is nothing more than a composer.json file with the three things you need, and then once you run a composer install flex, you know, build your project. Um, they have, a, I believe, a fork of that, which is the exact same thing, uh, but they have like the Docker Compose in there. But you, what you were really asking is like, does it? Do I have to switch? Uh, do I have to know that beforehand and create my project from the other one, or could there just be a recipe for this? Um, there is, uh, there are people, and I believe there are some recipes where uh, people are building recipes for exactly that for like sort of unrelated PHP configuration like I think there either is or somebody's proposing a uh, like an Apache um, recipe so it would be like a fake package we'd have to create a fake package somewhere just so that there is a technically a PHP package but there'd be nothing in it other than the uh, composer.json file and then I could say composer require Apache and all it would do is maybe build the correct HT access file in my web directory yeah. Right. So that's not a, not a super fancy one, but that's exactly that idea. So you could have something that's composer required Docker, and it's just just so that you can activate the recipe to put the Docker compose file in there. Yeah, like put in the Docker need. file and put in the Docker compose. Well, are, are you be... are you copying the Docker compose file, or are you, or is it copying it for you? That's what I'm saying. Like, it would copy. That, it would it would so you create would say, the Docker compose file for you. So you would say you know uh, composer require you know Dockify right, and now okay, you go in there and you and then you go the next thing you do is you say. Uh, Docker Compose, and now you're you're running your application. Yeah, I think yeah, it should be right. yes. should be should be fairly doable. You know, with like uh, Webpack running already. <laughs> yeah, right. Encore, yeah. right. There actually is a recipe for Webpack Encore. We there's a little more work to be done with it to to polish it before 4.0. But you actually run something like Compose Require Encore, and we we scaffold the the, the stuff for you. And, and, and see, that's really exciting from a from a developer point of view because. You know, when when you're working on libraries, and I think uh, who was I, I think I was talking to you, Tobias, last night about how you know there's the side of 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 uh, Symphony, which is the engineered side, and then there's the business side where you're actually just trying to do something. You're just, you're creating an application for a client or for yourself, and a lot of times that it, it becomes very ambiguous, especially for newer people, exactly what you're supposed to do in either one, and you end up overcomplicating on one side because the other side is you know, really an engineered solution that's meant to work for as broad a number of people in the most consistent way. Um, but to be able to say, hey, I'm going to go in there and, and with a few lines, of, you know, a few command line calls to Composer, I'm literally up and running an application that's getting me very close to what I need to actually be working on the actual project itself, like clearing those deck chairs, like seems like Symphony Flex is really starting to put us in a position to be like really getting into the, the meat of our project without having to spend the time of, like, okay, let me go and copy this, let me read the configuration again. Because, hey, I did this four months ago, but I've been working on that project, now I need to do it again. Go back, kind of, you know, relearn it, um, you know, all over again. No, I'm just gonna run a thing, because that's not important for me to get my job done and know how to write a YAML file, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and Nicholas uh, said that in his, in his presentation, um, <laughs> sort of a funny phrase, I've seen him use it a few times, says, the goal of Symphony 4 is to keep you coding as long as possible. Which initially always sounds like we're trying to uh, make uh, uh, like addict, addict you or make you overwork or like lock you in your office or something. Uh, but what he means is exactly that. He wants to keep you coding on your business logic as long as possible. Never leave your business logic to have to go to a configuration file or figure out some integration of parts. Stay inside of your code that's actually your business logic. And, 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 you know, to that point, like JavaScript, one of the things for, for, you know, I think a lot of PHP developers that we went through a few years ago until PHP, you know, really stabilized with the, you know, version 5.2 or 5.3 is, is that, you know, there was, there was fatigue just learning how to understand how to do something. JavaScript's moving so fast right now, you end up with this fatigue of, oh God, I got to learn something else, right? Well, you know, if Symfony's getting to the point to where things are stabilizing in the sense of, okay, I can just go in there, uh, learn a few commands and those commands are working on my on, on my behalf hey guess what you're you're actually working making money doing the thing that you want to do which is for your clients and you don't have that like mental fatigue of oh god i gotta go like learn this yeah like what the hell's a bundle okay now i understand a bundle which bundle should i use you know what's going on here that's another aspect of of the curated uh, uh 
volumes, you know, the symphony and symphony or uh, contrib, right? Is, is they're curating that for you and they're saying, hey, for the, for for most people, this is going to be what you want to use, and we stand behind it to a certain degree. You know, that being uh, you know the symphony community. So you know, I think overall, this is going to be a huge step for uh, symphony. Yes, yeah, and the developer experience. Right? Yeah, I think symphony symphony flex definitely is going to be probably probably going to be a game changer for symphony, and that's a very bright future, which I think is some an, an excellent sentiment to close this episode on. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, we we all need to get back to to nerding out and creating flex projects. That's true. It's actually it's very very fun to do. Yeah, yeah. While uh, Tobias wasn't talking there, I think he uh, he's already added fifteen more recipes. Yeah, yeah. yeah store for me quiet for five minutes. I, I just had to pull the quest. <laughs> so that's it for this episode of Sound of Symphony. The show is produced by Magnus Nordlander, Tobias Nyholm, Ryan Weaver, and Jared Farish. Visit our website soundofsymphony.com and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, big thank you to Brent Schaefer for letting us record in his living room. That was definitely better than trying to get everyone out to my Airbnb in Palo Alto at 10 in the morning. Also, thanks to our sponsors, Fervo, Happier, KNP University, and Dialogues Apps, Inc. Fervo is a symphony consulting business. Happier develops a platform for fair recruitment. KNP University provides symphony and PHP tutorials. And Dialogues Apps is a web application services company. Our music, Cool Intro and Cool Vibes, is provided by Kevin McLeod, adding Competech.com, and is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Symphony is a registered trademark of Fabian Potencier in the European Union and other countries. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored by, nor affiliated with Fabian Potencier. We'll be back soon with more Sound of Symphony. <laughs>